0: Well, good morning. When was the last time that um, tears came to your eyes or your heart welled up because of some kind act that somebody did for you? Something that really touched your heart uh, that made you feel thankful? When is the last time you can think of that you felt a deep, overwhelming gratitude for something that happened in your life? Maybe uh, the birth of a child or a grandchild, Uh, maybe a a selfless act that somebody does for you uh, out of nowhere, Uh, maybe an act of sacrifice that someone makes on your behalf, an hour of need. Maybe it was an act of grace where, where somebody forgave you for something you did or said that that was just weighing heavily on you and and they just just forgave you and you felt a sense of relief and release and gratitude. Today, we are starting a, a sermon series, um, working our way up to Easter. So we'll be working our way through the season of Lent and uh, we're calling it Journey to Jerusalem. We're looking at six different passages from the Gospels where we see Jesus Christ interacting with people. And we're hoping to gain some insight uh, about who Jesus is, why he came to earth and, and what he offers us and, and how it can shape us and challenge us as we move forward in our lives, uh, in, in our different roles. And the passage that we're beginning with is this passage from Luke chapter seven. The bulletin says it's John 12. It's the same story, uh, but Luke seven gives us a little bit more detail. So we're going to focus on that passage this morning. And in this passage, we find two individuals. There's um, well, there's more than two. I mean, there's Jesus, but there's two people who respond to Jesus in very, very different ways. You have Simon the Pharisee and you have this woman who has no name, apparently, in the story. And we see their responses to Jesus are, are, are stark and very, very different. And the, rea- the consequences of those responses are quite different as well. So before we get started on this, let's, let's, let's set the scene a little bit. Uh, now, we know from the story that Jesus gets a Denver inv- a dinner invitation. Simon, the Pharisee, asks him to come to his house for dinner. And, and there's something a little bit unusual about this, because if you know the history that Jesus had with the Pharisees throughout the Gospels, most of the time it wasn't very positive. Now, there were some exceptions. Uh, men like Nicodemus, John, chapter three, he comes to Jesus, asks him, you know, how do we how, do, how can I be born again? He's asking about life. And how he can be saved. And there's a few other places like that. But by and large, Jesus interactions with the Pharisees in the Gospels aren't very positive. Usually uh, they resist Jesus teaching. They come against him. They plot against him. They try to undermine him and, and try to embarrass him. Um, and so it's kind of unusual that Jesus would get an invitation from a Pharisee. But that's what the story tells us. Now, just so you don't feel like we're just throwing Pharisees under the bus, um, Pharisees started out as earnest people. The, the term Pharisee gives us a clue. It means separated ones. And the reason that they called themselves that they were separated was because they were so concerned about what was going on in the world. They felt that people were rejecting God and rejecting God's laws. And there was all sorts of immorality and problems in the world and society. And so they decided that they're going to separate themselves out from all of this and try to live holy and perfect and, not holy and just lives and righteous lives before God. Now, they understood that the law of Moses, which was from Exodus 20, that was given to Moses, was the way to go. And they do their best to be careful to obey it. But the problem was they were so careful to obey the law of Moses that they thought they needed to amplify it. They needed to add to it. And so you have all these laws from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, plus the Ten Commandments, plus several others that they added on to kind of, okay, what does it mean to do this? Well, it means to do this. And they would add on these rules and regulations. uh, And we're told that there were several hundred that they added in addition to what they found in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus, as he come as he he in his interactions with the Pharisees, he confronts him on on this matter a couple different several different times. And one of the times he says, you are sent to care for the people, to lead the people into relationship with me and and to love other people. And yet you're adding all these burdens and you're weighing them down. And he warns them against that. Another another well-known story with Jesus and the Pharisees comes out of Matthew 22. Uh, And Jesus is approached by this one Pharisee, this teacher of the law, who asks him, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments out there? the The Old Testament and all the other things that we've added, what's the most important thing to do? Remember Jesus' response? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And then the second like it: love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, if you do these two things, all the law and all the prophets are summed up in these two commands. But that wasn't enough for the Pharisees. You see, they were so caught up on the on the letter of the law that they were missing the spirit of the law. The reason that that God sent his son in the first place, the reason that God created us, the reason that God sent his law was so that we would have relationships with God of love and of obedience and of faith and of joy, and that we'd have relationships with each other in peace and harmony and mutual service. But the Pharisees were so intent on on keeping the law that they they missed the point. Let me give you an example. Uh, One of the Ten Commandments is, of course, to keep the the Sabbath. It says the Sabbath is holy and we are to keep it holy. And so they did their best to do that. One day out of seven, they would set aside for, for God and for worship. And um, it was a way for them to say, Look, God, how much we love you. We're doing our best to honor you by keeping the Sabbath holy. But then, of course, as was their want, they asked, What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? And so they, they came back with, What well, means you can't do any work at all? Well, then that begged the question, What, what constitutes work? And so they came up with several rules and regulations. One of them, for example, was that you could walk no more than 2,000 yards in the day. Anything beyond 2,000 yards constituted work. And you were breaking the Sabbath and you were a sinner because of that. Now, this sounds ridiculous to us, doesn't it? And it sounds even a little bit, little bit amusing. But it's amazing how people can start out with a view to love God and love other people. And they're interested and they're serious and they're earnest but then have a tendency to get more and more meticulous about it till in the end they lose track of what's most important and that's what happened to the Pharisees now again lest we judge them too harshly we all have that tendency don't we we all have the tendency at times to begin to miss the point and major in the minors and and focus on the the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law you know we see it sometimes in the In the church, uh, you know, big C, whether it be you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you have to vote a certain way, you have to listen to certain music or whatever it might be. All sorts of things that we can try to add on to what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus pointed this out to them, and as it's not surprising, they didn't like this very much. Jesus, in fact, called them hypocrites and, and false teachers we hear this quote out of uh, Isaiah 29:13, where Jesus said, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. So it's kind of surprising that in light of the fact that Jesus was saying these sorts of things and, and confronting the Pharisees and refuting them, that a Pharisee would invite him to dinner. So what was Simon the Pharisee's motive for asking Jesus to come over for dinner? Was he wanting a confrontation? Did he want to pick a public fight and set this young preacher teacher right? Was he trying to extend an olive branch, trying to kind of uh, broker some reconciliation? Was he kind of saying, hey, this is not getting us anywhere. Let's, let's put uh, differences aside and, and agree to disagree. Maybe he was expressing genuine genuine spiritual interest. We, we don't know because something happened in the story. We have this intrusion, this interruption. Now, again, it's helpful for us to know that in those days when um, when a, a prominent person in town would invite somebody else over who was prominent, there were lots of servants who would show up to serve for the party. And often what would happen was these servants would invite their friends and family to kind of watch, kind of listen in and you know, see how they interact, kind of get close to these well-known people, sort of like what you see with the Oscars or the Emmys. You know, people crowd around and they watch these people walk on the red carpet. They just want to be around and, 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 and be a part of things. And so that's kind of what's happening here. Jesus is in Simon's house. Simon's a well-known man in town. Jesus is a well-known uh, prophet, teacher, rabbi. He's done miracles. And so people want to crowd around and see what's going on. And in this crowd on this day, there happens to be a woman. we don't know her name, um, but she just doesn't have the best reputation, because we can tell that because she's called a sinner, of course, we're all sinners. but the word that's used here for sinner is a special word. It's, it means that she was known for being sexually promiscuous. So either she was a well-known adulteress or she was the town prostitute. And, and to everybody's amazement, this woman pushes her way out of the crowd, and she, she makes her way to Jesus. And she stands at his feet and she takes this this alabaster jar that's hanging around her neck and it's full of expensive perfume. And she takes it and she breaks it and she pours it over Jesus feet and she bursts into tears. And she begins to wipe the tears and perfume off his feet with her hair. And then in an act of incredible humility and submission and worship, she bows down and begins to worship, to kiss his feet. Now, the first thing we notice here we want to pull out of this is, is Jesus' intuition here. The, 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 the scripture tells us that Simon the Pharisee says to himself, "If this man were really a prophet, he would know who this woman is, and he would know what kind of things she's done. He would know what kind of reputation she has." He doesn't say it out loud. he's thinking it. He's skeptical. He's cynical. He came into this meeting, not a little skeptical about who Jesus was. And now in his mind, Jesus is just proving the fact that he's not really a prophet. He he should know who this woman is. Why would he let her do these things? She's a she's a well-known. She's well-known for her sexual indiscretions. But it says in the text that Jesus answered him. And as Jesus so often does, he begins with a story before he. Reveals the truth of it and turns the light on the listeners. And Jesus says, "May I tell you a story?" And Simon is a gracious host. He doesn't want to be seen as, you know, ingracious. He has a reputation, so he says, "Please tell tell me your story, teacher." And so we find this story where Jesus says there was a moneylender, and this moneylender has two clients. You know, I don't know if he was a loan officer. He was a he was a a loan shark, we don't know, but he, he has two clients and they borrow money from him. One borrows 500 denarii, one borrows 50 denarii. Both of them fall upon hard times. Both of them realize, I can't pay this back. And so they go to him expecting, of course, probably, you know, some exorbitant interest rates or maybe get thrown into debtor's prison or they'd have to hire themselves out as a servant or who knows what. But to their surprise, the money lender says, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, You don't owe me anything. It's canceled. It's taken care of. Now, I'm guessing that most of us don't get paid in denarii. So to give you a sense of what that is, uh, a denarius would be the equivalent of one day's uh, work for the average working man. And so given that they work six days a week, that'd be about 300 denarii a year. So one guy has 500 denarii. It's about 20 months wages. So think about maybe what you would make in 20 months. He owes this. He has no way whatsoever of paying it back. No chance at all of paying it back. The other person owes about two months uh, wages. Doesn't make any difference because he, he can't pay it back either. He has no way of paying it back. They're both in deep trouble. Now, when the moneylender cancels the debt, notice the words he says. He says he forgave them the debt. He forgave them, which gives us some insight into what the nature of forgiveness is, Right. To to forgive is basically to say, I cancel your debt. You've done this to me. You've said this to me. I cancel the debt. You don't owe me anything for this. And in fact, what happens is in the story of the money lender and on the cross, Jesus Christ, he doesn't only just say, don't worry about the debt. He takes the debt upon himself. He assumes the debt. He assumes the loss when he says, I forgive you. And so Jesus tells this story and then he interprets it. He says, Simon, you're basically says a paraphraser. You're a smart guy, but in case you haven't connected the dots. Who do you feel of these two people would be the most grateful? And who would express their loving gratitude to the moneylender the most? And Simon sort of reluctantly says, well, I guess the one who was forgiven most would love most. Jesus says, that's right. And then Jesus just in essence says, let me point something out to you. When I got here, remember, you invited me. To come to your house. When I got here, I was surprised that I wasn't greeted at the door with the customary kiss on the cheek. Not only that, I was surprised that there wasn't a servant there to meet me at the door with a with a bowl of water and a towel so my feet could be washed. And then I wasn't greeted with a customary oil to anoint my head. Now, if this would have been our world, it would have been as if Jesus would have said to the guy. When I came to your house at your invitation, you didn't meet me at the door. You didn't shake my hand. You didn't show me around. You, you didn't offer me something to drink. You didn't show me where I could hang up my coat. You didn't point me to the bathroom so I could freshen up. Then Jesus says, in marked contrast to this, let's look at this woman that you are judging, that you think you're so much better than. He says, when she she came into the house and she washed my feet with her tears, she she poured out expensive perfume upon my feet. She wiped my feet with her hair. She's been kissing my feet and in in, in humility and in service and kindness and love ever since she's gotten here. The contrast is stark, couldn't be sharper. The Pharisee missed the point. And this sinful woman did not. And because she got it, because she understood her need for forgiveness and because she humbled herself in loving worship before Jesus. Well, let's see what happens. Jesus goes on. Simon, has it ever dawned upon you that those who really understand the wonders of forgiveness are the ones who demonstrate loving gratitude? Could it be the reason that you are expressing so little love for me is that you have little concept of your need for forgiveness and the forgiveness that I that I want to give you? And then Jesus turns to the woman, he says, woman, your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. And he says, go in peace. That's the story. Now, there are always truths we can pull out of Jesus' parables. And in the last few minutes, a few things I want to pull out for us, a few takeaways. First, even though there are all sorts of different kinds of sins, because there are all sorts of different kinds of people, we all have our own tendencies to sin in different areas. They're all sins in need of forgiveness, no matter if they're seen as respectable or the worst of the worst. It's equally obvious that a woman needs to be forgiven, but also that Simon needs to be forgiven. There's there's no similarity between their lifestyles. One's a woman about town. The other one is a respectable religious figure. But they both are sinners in need of being forgiven. Whether it's gluttony or pride or self-righteousness or murder or lust or theft or greed or adultery or jealousy or gossip or whatever, we all have sins that we need to be forgiven of. And we need to be careful not to categorize people into groups of that type of sinner and these types of sinners. The one thing we all have in common is that inner sinful attitude towards God, which needs to be forgiven. The second lesson we can pull from this story is that God in Christ is prepared and willing and wanting to forgive us our sin, whether it's of the reprobate variety or the respectable variety. He's prepared to forgive our sin the way the money lender Forgave the people who couldn't repay it by assuming the debt himself. That's what the point of the cross is that Christ pays the debt that we cannot pay and can never pay ourselves. Another lesson we can glean from this story, another takeaway, is that the only way to receive forgiveness is by faith. Jesus said, Your faith has saved you, your sins are forgiven. We cannot earn our forgiveness. Jesus offers that to us at great cost to himself and we simply can are to respond with humble hands and worship. The next takeaway we can take from the story is that those whose sins are forgiven are commanded to go in peace. They're commanded to go in peace, not to carry around the guilt and the shame and the regrets and the remorse. They are to let that burden go because Christ has forgiven them. Jesus says. Go in peace. It begins with, with the understanding that there, but for the grace of God, go I. We are all sinners in need of grace. The final takeaway is the woman's response. And we've alluded to that, but when we look at her response, just being in the presence of Christ brings her to the point of tears, brings her to the point of, of, of great sacrifice. She encounters Christ, she finds forgiveness. She doesn't care what other people think, and she humbles herself in public, throws herself at Jesus' feet in an attitude of worship and love and gratitude. You know, if, if you and I don't understand the immensity of our sin and the great need we have for forgiveness, if we don't understand our, our, our capacity to rebel against God, There is no way that we can truly understand the incredible grace that God offers us through Christ. So we begin this morning with this story and this parable as we make our way towards the cross and, 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 and and the empty tomb. Because if we want to encounter Christ, if we want to be changed by him, if we want to see our eternity changed, this is where we must begin. Acknowledgement of our sin. A trust in Christ. Humility and worship and offering ourselves for him. That's how we are to begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the story of about this woman and and this man, Simon. And Lord, if we are honest with ourselves, we can tend to have a lot of Simon in us. We can tend to categorize people, to categorize sins, to get a little self-righteous or proud. Lord, forgive us when we do that. Help us rather to be more like the woman. Humble, thankful, full of love of worship. A person who pours out her life for you. Help us to do the same, Lord. Help us to respond to Jesus that way. Help us to encounter you, Lord. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand?